This is episode five with Western Australian wicketkeeper, Sam Whiteman. Welcome to the Process of Success podcast. My name is Tom Scolle, former professional cricketer, now athlete mentor and online entrepreneur. Each week, we're going to discuss what it takes to achieve success so that you can use the tips, techniques and tactics to become your best. Whether it's sport, business, music, relationships or anything else, this is an insight into the minds and lives of some of the world's most successful people. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Now let's get into today's episode. This is a great interview with Sam Whiteman as it's another interesting story and as a wicketkeeper, Whitey gives you another perspective on the game. Whiteman was a very good young cricketer who progressed through the ranks in WA cricket to make his first class debut as an opening batsman at the age of 20. After having a brilliant season for WA in 2013-14, Whiteman was selected for Australia A where he went on to score a century against India A and was touted as the next Australian wicketkeeper, which he may well have been right if it wasn't for a cruel run of injuries over the last few seasons. In this episode we discussed making his first grade debut at a young age, how he made the transition from the country to the city as a teenager, how thinking about higher honours caused him to go backwards, how he dealt with multiple injury setbacks, how he manages his preparation for both keeping and batting, what his process and routines are like before matches, how he deals with the pressure of big matches, plus a whole lot more. This is another cracking episode, so let's get into it. G'day guys, welcome to the Process of Success podcast. I'm here with WA and Perth Scorchers wicketkeeper Sam Whiteman. Whitey, thanks for joining me. No worries, mate. Um, I like to start these interviews. We've just had your um, teammate Nathan Coulton-Isle on a couple of weeks ago, and we've had Vogesy on. I like to start these interviews by getting a bit of a snapshot of your childhood and how your cricket started. You were born in the UK um, and you came to Australia when, when you were three. What's your earliest memory of playing cricket? Uh, my earliest memory was probably similar to most guys in the backyard, uh, playing with dad and, um, and my younger brother. Um, you know, I just used to, after school and stuff, love getting out in the backyard and um, yeah, I, think, I think it's the same as most people, yeah. Nice one. And then did you start competitively? What age was that? Yeah, I think it was about seven. Dad took me down to the local uh, cricket club in Bunbury, um, started playing for Marist and um, yeah, I can't really remember much obviously at that age, but I just remember you know, how excited I used to get for sad days and you know, putting the whites on in the morning, going to the game in the whites and used to love it, yeah. Awesome. And then so throughout that time it was some structured sessions and then some sessions in the backyard with your brother and your dad? Basically, yeah. It was just, um, you know, lived and breathed cricket. Used to want to do it as soon as I got home from school, want to do it at lunch at school. Um, you know, I used to love Saturdays, so yeah, I just used to try and get as much, much in as I could. Awesome. And then how did your teenage years look as you sort of got a bit older? You went to Bunbury High School um, here yep. in WA. Um, were you training, when did you start to take it more seriously and were you sort of training every day at some point in that time? Uh, I wouldn't say every day, probably three or four times a week. Um, you know, I'd go down with Dad to the nets and just have a half an hour hit or something like that. Um, but definitely around that age it probably got a little bit more serious. So I was playing, you know, probably juniors in the morning in Bunbury and then I was playing seniors. Um, you know, I was playing lucky enough to play first grade at quite a young age in Bunbury, which was awesome. I was pretty much playing as a specialist keeper. I was batting, batting 10 or 11. Um, and I guess that really exposed me to senior cricket, which, you know, um, as a youngster sort of probably uh, wakes you up and goes, you know, this is, this is how you play cricket. 
Awesome. And how did, how did you come about being a keeper? Was it someone you idolised on TV or does it... My brother, for example, started keeping when he was younger because he had cold hands and they got asked yep. it. What, what's your story with becoming a keeper? Uh, I just remember in junior cricket where you'd, you'd rotate around the field um, and I used to just love keeping because you're in the game and then you'd move to keeping and you go you go 45 and you, you wouldn't touch the ball and then you go square leg, you wouldn't touch the ball. So I just used to used to want to be a part of it. Um, you know, and I've... I've of, uh, I probably Gilly had a little bit to do with it as well. You know, watching Gilly on TV, whack him and then glove him, uh, it's pretty cool. Awesome. And then what age did you start really practicing your keeping and sort of getting some volume mm. into that side of your game? Probably not till um, I was in the State 17 squad um, did I ever really think about practicing keeping. Um, uh, I know one thing growing up, you know, I guess keepers almost get a little bit forgotten about when they're in junior, junior teams. You know, the batters have the nets, bowlers bowl the nets. And then we do, you do a group fielding where the keeper generally just stands and takes, takes the ball. So um, to be honest, I never really thought about keeping much until, until I got a bit more serious. And in your teenage years, or did you ever get any one-on-one -on -one coaching, either with your batting or your keeping? Uh, definitely not keeping. Uh, it was all pretty natural. Um, younger years, batting, um, yeah, mainly with um, a guy called Brett Whitaker who used to coach Rockham Mandra. He um, yeah, used to talk with batting uh, with him a fair bit. Um, wasn't necessarily all technique, it was probably just uh, back and forth talking about the game and how to, how to get better and how to score runs, um, yeah, it definitely helped me while I was younger. Awesome, and you've mentioned your dad, um, Brett, who, who else has had a big impact on your career? Who, who, who are your mentors now and who are your mentors when you were younger? Yeah, uh, oh, when I was younger, obviously parents, you know, I was living in Bunbury, playing in Perth, so you can imagine the hours in the car spent. and. You know, I'd be a you know a teenager. I'd sit in the back, probably fall asleep for a few hours. Um, so you know, parents when I was younger, doing all that time in the car. Now, um, definitely Wayne Andrews. I think that was one of the best things I ever did. Was I think I was 19. I went um, went down to Muleman's and uh, approached Wayne and said, look, I'd love to do some one-on-ones. And uh, since then, I've been hitting with him non-stop. Luckily enough, he works at the Wacker now. But um, that's probably definitely one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah. Awesome. And now you mentioned when you're a kid in Bunbury playing against adults. Um, we get up, we get question, uh, questions all the time from kids who are playing against older kids or adults. What sort of, if you sort of think back to that point in time, and obviously it's a little while ago now, what sort of mindset or what, was it just like a, an attitude of you're just really keen to learn or were you, mm -hmm. did you play with quite a lot of fear against men? How, what advice would you give young players now in that situation? I guess I just wanted to prove that I was I was good enough to play with them. I guess um, you know one thing about playing senior cricket when you're young is you know that just because they're young they don't take it take it easy on you. If if anything they almost go go harder at you. Um, so yeah, basically I just wanted to um, you know prove to everyone that I was good enough to play. And you know luckily enough you play against senior guys, but you're also playing with senior guys, and you can you can learn a lot off those guys. Awesome, awesome. It is such a great way to to learn. Um, and I do it every week. Shout out to all the parents who are listening or watching. Um, Whitey's mentioned his parents driving him from Bunbury up to Perth, a big journey. And um, I know my mum and dad used to get up early and take me to my coaching before school. So thanks to all you parents. None of us would be where we are without you guys. So moving forward, you then made your debut at a young age in first grade in Wacker Cricket, as you said, yep. a 15-year-old for Rockingham Mandra. Um, how was that when you were sort of progressing through the, the grades and, and making your first eight grade debut at 15? Do you remember your first game? Yeah, I do, yeah. It, um, it all sort of happened pretty quickly at Rockham. Uh, obviously, they weren't the strongest team at the time, which benefited me. I, I got in the first grade side pretty quickly. Um, 
and yeah, I was pretty young. I was 15 and I was pretty similar. I was playing, um, I, was, I think first game about a nine or 10 um, and against Mount Lawley and I just, I was stoked to be there. I, you know, sprinted between the overs and you know, I just loved being a part of it. Um, yeah. So you were keeper? Yeah, I was keeper, yeah. And did you have a bat? I had a bat, yeah. I think I got about 15 or 20, I think. Yeah, yeah and I was stoked with that, yeah. So you weren't overawed, you were sort of just excited? Uh, oh, yeah, it was obviously a bit daunting playing first grade um, at that age. Um, but, you know, you, you rely on your teammates, don't you, to, you know, to uh, get you through and, and look after you a bit. Awesome. And was it about that point where you started to think, I'm quite good here and, and maybe I could make a career out of this? Or was it earlier or was it not till a bit later on? Probably around that stage, yeah. Um, you know, you, you play that level and, you know, back then, you, you know, you play with guys in and out of the WA team. And I think in my second game, I played against Justin Langer. Um, I was batting and look back and he's standing at first slip. It's um, pretty cool. Yeah. And you think you're playing against those guys, you're, you know, you're actually good enough to maybe one day be able to take that next step. Awesome, awesome. And now, when you were 18, you moved from um, Bunbury um, up to Perth. Yep. And you left the family behind to obviously pursue your cricket dream. How was that? How did you, we have a lot of people ask us about make, relocating or making sacrifices. How did you find that transition? Yeah, um, yeah, obviously tough, but having said that, it's only a two hour trip down to Bunbury if I, if I needed to go. But um, yeah, I think it was just time for me to get out of, out of Bunbury and um, you know, give cricket a good crack. Um, the Wacker was lucky enough to give me a, a little sponsorship, which enabled me just to work part-time at the Wacker and um, and therefore, I could just focus on a bit of training with Rockingham and, um, and you know, have hits with guys like Wayne Andrews and stuff like that. But um, it, was, it was daunting, but I knew it had to be done if I wanted to make it as a cricketer. Awesome. And in that time where you'd relocated, you, you had a bit of work, but you, you probably had a fair bit of free time. What sort of, what did your week look like? How often were you practicing? How many hours a day were you practicing? How often were you hitting balls? Again, it's, it's for our listeners and viewers who, who don't know what they should be doing. What, what's the sort of standard that you were doing back then? Uh, it was, I guess it was a bit all over the shop. Um, I know I definitely, uh, you know, trained with Rockham twice a week. I'd always get there an hour early and probably stay a little late. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of a Wacker development squad that would train once a week, so I'd, I'd be a part of that. Um, I'd have a hit with Wayne Andrews. So I'd probably be hitting four times a week. Um, and then back then, I probably wasn't into my fitness as much as I am these days. But um, yeah, I used to try and get a little bit of running in. Um, but definitely, uh, that's something you learn as you get older. Is uh, you know, I'll pro- looking back now, I was probably wasn't training anywhere near as much as I am now. Yeah, and um, you made your first class debut at 20 years old. Um, yeah. How did that come about? Um, had you been dominating grade cricket or second eleven at that point? And who was the previous keeper that you then came in and replaced? I probably wasn't dominating anything. Um, I actually debuted as a batsman. I opened the batting. Um, but actually, funny enough, uh, Sean Marsh got dropped for me um, while Sean was going through a bit of a rough patch. Um, but that was my first year on contract, rookie, and I was just, to be honest, I had no expectations to play. I was just happy being a part of the squad, just trying to get better. And then, um, you know, I got picked to play as a bat, and um, I think that was the year Luke Ronke left for New Zealand and um, Tom Triffitt was the keeper. So, um, you know, but I got a crack as a bat and, you know, it was pretty scary. I walked out, opened the batting at the G and um, Peter Siddle and James Patterson had the ball. It's pretty daunting, yeah. Awesome, what an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, and how was it when you first got your contract and you yep. rocked up to the Wacker for the first time and you had Sean Marsh and Adam Voges and, and these big names? Um, 
how did you find that experience and, and did you think I am good enough or did you think I'm nowhere near these guys or did you think I've got to work really hard to get up there how, how was that yeah you definitely think you're not good enough as soon as you get in the squad but and the same thing applies that you just want to prove to everyone that you are good enough um, yeah, you, you get I guess uh, a surprise about how hard the guys train um, having said that the Warriors back in 2012 doesn't didn't train anywhere near as hard as they do now. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to prove to everyone that I was, I was good enough, yeah. Awesome, and then just to give our listeners a, a snapshot, Justin Langer came in after you were playing um, with the squad, you were in the squad. Yep. What does training or your week look like now? And, and WA or the Scorchers have a, a reputation for being extremely mm. hard trainers under JL's regime. How does it yep. look these days? Uh, well, definitely when he took over, he uh, he drove a hard hard bargain. That's for sure. We did, um, you know, I think there was two or three pre seasons there where we did ridiculous amounts of Ks each week, like twenty or thirty Ks each week. Um, I think now we've had a, a pretty similar squad for the last five four years, so um, I think he cuts a, a little bit more leniency. But um, yeah, back then there was some <laughs> there's some hard running sessions, some hard camps that you think. You know, uh, is this really what I want to be doing? <laughs> yeah, and there's no coincidence that WA started to have a lot more success once JL came in and instilled mm. a, a really um, huge work ethic in everyone. So you then sort of from your first class debut, um, you, you started to, to keep as well and you, you had a really great run for a couple of years and, and yep. quite quickly you, you were on the radar of, of higher honours, higher selection, you were playing for Australia A, um, you scored 100 in 2014 against India and Brisbane. Um, and a lot of people started to talk about you as potentially the next keeper. How, what was that time like? How, how were you feeling then? Oh, it was all pretty exciting. Um, you know, I got picked for Australia Ray off the back of a decent season, and to be honest, I had no expectations. I was playing in a really good Australia Ray side like Phil Hughes, um, and uh, to be honest, I had no expectations and did really well. Got a, got 100 and batted with Mitch, uh, and then suddenly I just felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. Um, I went back to WA and you know I was there was talk about the next test keeper and um, I probably felt that pressure I focused on uh, playing for Australia instead of probably focusing on playing for WA and uh, and consequences I had I had a really bad year yeah. was that through reading the newspaper or reading articles or something you just started to imagine what it could be like and then stop focusing on where you were at yeah definitely I was, I was reading a lot of stuff um, and I guess I had a taste as well that I, I and I really wanted it. I probably wanted it a bit too much, um, which is easy to do. Uh, but you live and you learn. I think now the last year or so, well, a couple of years, I've been injured, but um, just enjoying playing for WA. And, and the jail always talks about it. if we're if we're winning games for WA, then everyone's going to get noticed, and and that's where guys go up. Awesome. And if you if you look back into that period where you were doing really well and you you got your hundred for Australia, were there, was there any sort of you've spoken quite a lot about no expectation were you just going out and enjoying it and was there anything else you can think about um, I've put you on the spot here but is there anything else you can go back into that period and think that really made an impact in why I was playing so well yeah I think definitely I've done it a few times throughout my short career is just putting too much pressure on myself yeah I think the times looking back the times I do really well I like like you just said I have no expectations I I just focus on the team and focus on having fun um, it's pretty simple you put pressure on yourself, um, you know, that's, that's when you make mistakes. Yeah, I've read a, a few articles about Bangers being in a similar boat. When, yep. he, when he tries too hard, it, his results don't come, and when he tries to relax, yep. 
the results come, and that's the same for everyone. I, I know that I'm the same as well. So then after that point, you, you injured your finger and you had an extended period off. How did you deal with that setback? And that must have been like living a great life as a professional cricketer, mm -hmm. sort of have that taken away from you to some extent instantaneously. How did you deal with that setback? Oh, look, yeah, it's, it was pretty tough. Um, yeah, injuring my finger at the start, I thought it was about a three or four month layoff. I had surgery and then three months in it, I hadn't healed right, so I had another surgery and then three months later, it hadn't healed right, so I had another surgery and at that stage it was sort of uh, do or die with the finger really. Um, and you know, you, you get a pretty dark place and, and you know, you forget how lucky you are when you're not injured and um, you know, I've played cricket since I was seven. Um, and so to suddenly not be playing cricket at all, it's a, it's a bit of a rude awakening. And, um, but look, yeah, that's where you rely on your family and your friends to, to get you through. Mm. Yeah, so how, how did you stay motivated? And we asked, asked Kurtz this a couple of weeks ago. He'd been through a lot as well, a lot of injuries. Yeah. How did you personally stay motivated to think, okay, I want to get up today and do my rehab and make sure that I'm right in three months or four months, however long, far away it might be? To be honest, I probably struggled a bit with that. That's yeah, I, I lost a lot of motivation, um, especially after my last surgery. They sort of said, "Look, you're not going to play any cricket for about a year." Um, I lost all motivation. I sort of thought, "What's the point in going and doing a bit of fitness? Um, you know, what's the point in um, you know going to watch watch cricket and stuff like that?" So I, I really struggled with it. But um, you sort of rely on other guys in similar positions. I sort of try to bounce. You know, talk talk to a lot about you know guys like Coults, Dorf, who you know they've been through this a lot. So, um, but that's definitely one thing I've learned from is you know um, how to I don't know how to find some motivation. Yeah. We're going to take a break from Whitey for a minute. Last week I interviewed sports psychologist Martin Hager. Here's a little clip of that interview. Yeah, I mean I think I think at the elite level um, and at the absolute elite level. Um, you know, above and beyond, you know, excellent training, obviously natural talent. Uh, I think, you know, having a, a very strong mindset, a mindset that is, I suppose, a winning mindset is the, is the difference between winning, you know, gold and coming forth, for example. Um, and a winner will have, you know, extreme confidence. And um, they will not only expect to win, they'll, they'll also have all of the things that they need to do planned out, mapped out in their mind, often many years in advance um, as to, to what they need to do to, to get to the, that top level, the, the, the optimal performance. If you haven't downloaded and listened to that episode, then please do that now. Now let's get back to Whitey. And so how did you pass your time? Obviously, a finger injury is different to soft tissue or something yep. else, so you, you can do a little bit of probably running or, or bike or whatever's needed. Yep. Um, but how, how did you pass the, the time that you'd normally be investing or mm. spending in your game and, and sort of recovering? You don't no longer have that. How did you spend your time during that? Bit of Netflix, fair bit of Netflix. Um, you know, I was, uh, yeah, to be honest, I didn't get up to a great deal. I was sort of all over the shop. Um, yeah, a lot of Netflix, probably a, a, a few nights out as well yeah. <laughs> amongst that. Uh, amongst that year, but um, yeah, I think the last uh, four or five months I've really found motivation again to, you know, you get within sight of playing again. You yeah. really you really want to step up and, um, you know, get make sure you're in the right nick um, and give yourself every chance. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you're back playing now and I'm sure there's, there's big things around the corner for you. 
Um, how do you now, having been through that sort of period, how do you now switch off and get away from the game? And, and do you have any other things that you sort of spend your time doing to try and give yourself an outlet from cricket? Um, yeah, that's you know strange sitting here at the moment. You know, season's sort of done and dusted. But normally this time of year, I'm like, oh, thank God the season's done. You know, I can have a couple of months off. But now I'm sort of feeling like, you know, I don't need a couple of months off. So um, look, I have a have a month off now um, and just relax. And then look, I'm I'm going to go and play cricket in England. So I think it'd be silly for me not to keep playing. Um, you know, more time in the middle after a year's layoff is you know that's that's gold. So I'll um, get over to England and see how we go. Awesome. And now, onto the, back onto the field, you've played in a lot of big match, matches, including big bash finals and yep. um, playing for Australia A, etc. How do you deal with the added pressure that um, comes with a big game and a big crowd and, and lots of people watching? And while we're recording this interview, it's finals time um, here in WA and all around yep. Australia. We have a lot of people saying, how do I perform in a final? H- how have you found leading into a big bash final, mm-hmm. let's say, at the Wacker, lots of pressure on... What have you done? Nothing different. I think that's that's pretty important. I think just because it's a big game, there's no no need to change anything. I think um, you know if you know, you're playing finals, you're obviously doing well. Um, so there's no need to change any sort of routine. I think I just uh, I guess trust the process that um, you know, what I've been doing is correct, and there's no reason to change it just because it's a big game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's hugely important. Not get distracted by what's yeah. what's being said or how many people could be there or anything yeah. like that. Now, throughout your career, and I suppose throughout your tough times when you're injured and stuff, have you done any sort of meditation or any form of mental conditioning? Is that anything you've looked into or tried? Uh, I did a couple of years ago a fair bit of visualisation, just uh, especially around keeping. I, you know, I used to, um, you know, I think at this, I did all this work in pre-season around my keeping, and then the first game, you know, I dropped the catch that I shouldn't have, and um, you know, I found it really hard to let let go. Um, and then, therefore, that you know that affects affects the rest of your keeping. So, I did a lot of work before games, you know, visualising the ground and um, you know who was bowling, uh, different sort of you know chances that I might get. Um, and you know, I, I found that sort of just settled me down uh, heading into a game. And then, you know, in a game, it almost felt like I'd uh, already been there. So yeah, I've done a fair bit of work around that. Awesome. That's so powerful, I reckon, and that's something we we talk a lot about with our athletes. Um, in that moment now, having sort of done that and, and learnt from that, in that moment if you do make a mistake as a keeper, you're yep. in the game all the time and mm-hmm. you're going to make mistakes at times, whether it's a misstumping or, or a tough chance, how do you move forward and let go of that? And that's Because that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, oh yeah it is. Um, to be honest, I, know, I can let it go if I know I've done uh, everything right off the track. If I know I've, uh, you know, put in the hours catching, um, you know, done a bit of visualisation, I can, I can easily let things go. Um, it's when you, you know, you feel like you've taken a little shortcut here and there. Um, it's just so hard to let go. But yeah, if I, if I know I've done everything right, then you know, I catch, you know, fifty thousand balls a year. I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop a couple. Yeah, is that something that JL tries to instil? in you guys is about getting your process right because Colt spoke about it as well a couple of weeks ago about yeah. if he bowls a bad ball or has a bad over a bad game if he if he has ticked all the boxes and knows his preparation's been great then he doesn't mind yeah that's a big that's a big talking point with JL um, you know he's doing every little thing right off the track because um, at the end of the day you can't control everything that happens on the field you know sometimes your preparation's perfect you go forward you nick one 
and that's just cricket. Um, so yeah, that's that's a big thing. Um, jail pushes. I know he he did that massively throughout his career. It's just uh, he just tick every little box off the field, and then and you just sort of trust yourself that you're going to get the job done. Absolutely, because that's the stuff you can control. You can control yep. your preparation, your training. Yeah. What happens in the game, you often don't have control over. So, really, really important. Now, being a wicketkeeper batsman, you're a true all-rounder. Um, how do you manage your training so that you get enough volume in for both keeping and batting? Yeah, I think that's something I struggled a bit with when I was younger, was um, yeah, trying to find a balance. I think now, um, I haven't kept in a year, but I, I, the last year, a couple of years, I've just sort of tried to listen to myself, which I guess comes from probably a bit of experience of playing for a while, but um, you know, sometimes you keep, my keeping's going really well, and I've go, you know, hang on, I'll, I'll do 20 minutes of that and I'll, I'll move on and do, you know, have a good hour's hit. And, you know, sometimes it's the other way. So I just try and listen to myself and, um, and yeah. So it's more of a feel thing, what's yep. feeling like you need to spend more time on. Exactly, yeah, especially, you know, when you're playing five shield games in a row, you have four or five days off. You, you know, if I was to go guns blazing on both things, I'd be cooked going to the next game. So it's yeah. about, you know, fine-tuning what happened last game and um, going, hang on, you know, I don't need to worry about keeping this week. I'll have a little catch and I'll have a, have a big hit. And does that, just for the keepers listening, does that um, go into how you keep? You might practice more up to the stumps or um, yeah. right up close if you're not feeling great up there and you might go sort of spend more time back to the quicks if you're not feeling great doing that? Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, if I, you know, missed a chance or up to the stumps or, you know, not even that, even if I didn't quite feel 100% comfortable, I'd go, you know, the, the next week or the next chance I had to train, I'd, I'd definitely focus on that, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And now into like a pre-ball routine, as a batting coach, yep. I talk a lot with the players I work with about having a mental um, routine that allows mm -hmm. you to switch on and switch off. As a keeper, you're in the game every single ball. Do you yep. have a, a, a route, mental routine while you're keeping? Yeah, I do. Uh, probably it's, it's probably cho chopped and changed over the years, but it, it, I think keeping and batting is so similar. Um, so I try and keep it as simple as I can. Um, once I'm in my squad, it's just about watching the ball. Yeah, I sort of say expect the ball and watch the ball. Um, especially up to the stumps, they're the ones that you miss. It's not because you're in a bad position, it's probably because you're not expecting the batsman to miss it. You go, well, it's a half ollie. Oh crap, he's missed it. Um, they're the ones you miss, so this comes down to expect the ball and watch the ball. Awesome, and then it's obviously similar when you bat. Do you say, is your, is yep. your trigger, is your cue words a little bit different though? Yeah, um, it's depending on how I'm going really as well. If I'm, you know, if I feel like, um, um, you know, if I feel like I, I'll, I want to flick the ball up, which sometimes I really want to flick everything through the leg side. I'm thinking, you know, play straight, watch the ball. Um, you know, sometimes that's not the case, and you know, I might feel like I'm getting out in front of me a bit. Um, it's uh, wait for the ball, watch the ball. Yeah, yeah. So it's just adapting to where you're at with your yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, and now, what does your traditional preparation look like for a shield game, and how does it then differ from a, a big bash game? Let's say you're in a block of shield cricket. Yeah. You might have five days, as you said, five mm -hmm. or six days to prepare. What does that sort of period leading into a game look like for you? Uh, well, two or three days out, yeah, I'd normally have a, a really good couple of sessions. Um, Keeping-wise, I'd, I'd get a good hour or, hour or two in each session. Um, and batting-wise, you know, it depends how I'm going. You know, I'd, um, if I, sometimes batting, if I feel like I'm hitting the ball really well, I'll, 
I'll have a 20 minute hit and you know get out of there because sometimes the longer you spend in the nets you actually almost hit yourself out of form and you start overthinking things um, but generally the day before the game for a shield, shield game I'd, I'd have a 20 minute catch just a little rhythm catch and same thing with batting you know, is if, that off the face someone just hitting yeah. straight at you or nicks or yeah I do mainly off the face and just make sure my feet are going well and um, and you know maybe do a little bit of diving someone underarming um, and then after the stumps, just have have someone throwing um, just on the on a turf wicket with no batter, um, and just to get the get the ball f in the gloves. Yeah. And what about batting? Do you prefer flicker, bowling machine, bowlers? How do you sort of, or do you just vary? Yeah, it varies. Um, you know, depending on these days, the bowlers can't really bowl much before before a game, so uh, normally rely on flickers. Um, but it's the same thing. You know, if I'm feeling really good, I've scored some runs recently. Yeah, I wouldn't have a hit for longer than 20 minutes. Uh, if I'm struggling, working on a couple of things, I, you know, you could be in there for a while. Yeah, awesome. Um, and what about how it changes for a big bash? Do you practice more, obviously a bit more hitting, rotating and not leaving yep. the ball as much? It's just all sort of based around where you're going to be batting in the order as well? Yeah, it does. It's, um, you know, this last couple of years I've been opening batting, it's been pretty simple really. My job's just been to go, go out and have a dip, um, which has been good fun. Um, so, you know, practice against the new ball in the nets and just practice, I guess, some zones where I want to score in the game. Um, and that's where, yeah, Big Bash, you probably more work out who you're going to face and, you know, what they're going to try and do to you. Um, instead of shield cricket, you know, a lot of guys just want to roll top of off, occasional bouncer. Um, so Big Bash is, you know, quite easy to prepare for. Um, yeah. Right. Got a fire alarm going off here. That's <laughs> not ideal, but we'll carry on. Um, now you've played with and against the best players in the world. What are some of the traits you've noticed um, that they have in common? Oh, I, I, I think they just work out their routine. Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. They just uh, skills-wise routine, and then yeah, I think mental routine. You know, some of the guys you watch these days, you know, Steve Smith, how he manages to focus that long. Because you know you've been in those positions before where you get 100 and you relax a bit and you get out or you get to 70 and go, geez, I've got to, I'm cruising here and then you get out. For, you know, the guys that are elite in the world, they just, they just either push that thought deep down um, and they just stick to their routine balling. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And now something that I'm, I'm big on is understanding the habits and routines of successful people. Yep. Do you have anything... Um, that you do every morning or every evening or every week or any habits or routines or pre-game, pre pre-ball, anything with your cricket or off the field even? Uh, not really, no. I don't. It chops and changes. I, I know sometimes on the field I, I go through phases where I get quite superstitious. Like uh, sometimes I went through a phase where I'd batting in between each ball, I'd pat four bits of grass down. I had to. So if a spinner was bowling, I'd rush, rush down four bits and I think that's where I sort of got confused between superstition and routine which I think can easily be done um, but yeah I, I don't have a strict um, you know pre-game routine. Awesome and now just before we finish just a few, a few more questions now take a moment to think but what's the best piece of advice maybe you've ever received or something you'd give to a young aspiring cricketer in your to a, your younger self? Uh, I think we touched about it earlier, but you know, I, I know I did it when I was younger, and I, I can still I still do it throughout you know professional life, but trying too hard. I think 
you know, year, I know when I was younger, I desperately, you know, I was playing first grade, I desperately wanted to get a contract, so I'd try too hard, um, and just things didn't work out. I'd put so much pressure on myself, I'd, I'd get out, I'd, I'd want to smash up the change rooms, um, I'd be so frustrated. Um, I guess it's just learning that, that you are good enough, um, and, and if you get your training right, then, um, you know, you go into a game relaxed, it's, it's so much fun. It's trusting the process, the process of success. Now, um, what's your definition of success? Mm. Uh, it's a tough one. Didn't tell me that beforehand, did you? <laughs> uh, oh, look, I think success is being able to back it up time and time again, I, I reckon. Yeah, it's not just you know a, a fluke good season or a fluke good knock. It's been able to you know, back, back things up and back it up. Awesome, awesome. Now, what, what's the, you've mentioned you're going to go to England. What's the next yep. 12 months and beyond hold for you, do you think? What's the plans and what's the goals for you? Oh, look, goal, oh, I'd still, still want to play for Australia. Um, that's, a, that's a huge goal of mine. I'm 20, on 26 next week, so time's, time's skipping away from me. But, um, oh, look, oh, you know, going to England, I want to just get some time in the middle and then make sure when I come back, I'm ready to hit the ground running at, um, at you know, state level and yeah, focus on playing cricket for WA and I know if, if I just have fun playing for WA, anything's possible. Awesome, awesome. Now, finally, why do you play cricket? Uh, oh look, it's a, it's a really good job. Um, you know, I'm very lucky. Uh, I used to, uh, you know, always dreamed about playing cricket uh, as a living and, um, you know, what's not to like, uh, you know, you get to go, go to the WAC every day, um, you know, all my best mates are, are there, you talk crap, you get to, you know, yeah, you work hard, you're working hard with your mates, um, and, you know, that feeling of, you know, winning, winning whatever level you play, and, you know, you're sitting in the change rooms after with your mates, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really good feeling, and, you know, that's definitely one that, Talking to guys that have retired, that's that's the one feeling they miss is you know it's sitting in the change rooms after after a win. Absolutely, and that seems the common theme. It's always about celebrating with your mates. So, finally, how can our followers, our listeners, our viewers, how can they follow you? What sort of social channels can they follow your journey on? Oh, yeah, uh, Instagram. Um, I'm on Instagram. Been pretty quiet lately because I haven't been up to much. But um, yeah, definitely through that and. Um, you know, uh, that's about it, really. All right, well, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. But, Whitey, thanks very much for joining us yeah, thank you. on the process of success. We wish you the best of luck um, for your time in England and then getting back um, into the state team here and then beyond. Hopefully, we see you in Australian colours in the near future. Beautiful. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Thanks, Matt. There it is, legends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sam Wyvern has been an excellent player for Western Australia and had it not been for numerous injuries, could possibly be keeping for Australia in the current test series. I loved how honest he was during the interview about his injuries and how he got ahead of himself and his form dropped when he started to think about playing at the next level, something that happens to players regularly. If you enjoyed it or learned something, then please share it with your friends and on your social media pages. Remember to tag me, at Skulls5, as I'd love to hear your thoughts. Make sure to share it and connect with Whitey as well at, at Whitemans on Instagram. Also, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Cricket Mentoring. It's growing quickly and we have some great content on there, including the video of this interview. 
Thanks very much for joining me on this episode and being here from the very start. Love to you all. Now go out and get it done, legends.